with me, please. Lord, we thank you so much for the uh, wonderful message of music that we have heard. And God, we thank you for the great service that we've already experienced. God, we do pray now as we uh, take a few minutes and we dive into your word that you'll speak to our hearts, that we'll be open to whatever it is that we need to do, how we need to respond and that we'll leave here a little bit different than when we came in. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Wasn't that great? That was, that was very, very good. 1963, I was born. J.F. Kennedy was killed. I was going to say Reggie Hanchy was in junior high. I don't know how old you were in 63. No, Reggie was just a toddler. But there, came, there was a movie that came out that year from Russia with Love. How many of you old-timers remember that movie? It's been on, you know, it's on HBO or one of those, you know, probably twice a month now. So I've never seen the movie. But it's a James Bond movie, 007. Sean Connery is, uh, is James Bond. And uh, so I, I, obviously it has to do with Russia and love and, and uh, spy stuff. Well, we are starting a new sermon series tonight in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in this book for uh, several months, and, and I titled it From Corinth with Love, sort of, <laughs> because uh, it, it's, it's kind of with love, but it's also, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, you need to have a helmet on while you read it, correct? It is a, it's an interesting and it's a tough, a tough little book. Let me give you a little background about uh, about. 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 1 tonight if you have your Bibles. If not, we'll certainly have scripture on the screen. Some scholars believe there was actually four letters written to the church at Corinth, and that we have letter 2 and 4. Now, I don't know uh, if that is accurate or, or for sure. I, you know, we have 13 letters in the New Testament that we identify easily as being from the Apostle Paul, God through Paul. I believe Paul probably wrote 500 letters. That's how you primarily communicated. But 13 were the inspired word of God that made it into the Bible. So if we have letter 2 that we're going through tonight, or letter 1, it is uh, 1 Corinthians in our Bible. Corinth, we have a picture of Corinth on a map. Corinth was, uh, if you see, um, you, you see Ephesus where we were this morning, and you see Thessalonica. Uh, Athens, uh, a primary big city, obviously still today in Greece, was about 50 miles to the east. And you see Corinth there, kind of in the middle. Rome is uh, always a, a, a central place to get a picture of. Corinth was a thriving, thriving city. It was a, a place that had uh, been destroyed 150 years earlier and then was rebuilt. And it was, uh, it was uh, sitting uh, on a sea. And it was also sitting on major road routes of the day. So it was a major uh, import-export area. Uh, had a lot of military people coming in and out of there. You had great wealth. You had great affluence. You had a lot of very intelligent people. And you had a lot of vile people. If you called someone a Corinthian, they're behaving like a Corinthian. That was a way of saying they were behaving immorally or improperly. So if you want to impress someone this week uh, or depress them, tell them that you're, they're acting like a Corinthian. And you, you will know what you're talking about. But 
they want. It was a, it was a party city, uh, a high-intensity party city. And Paul had gone there and started a church. He had led some people to Christ. He spent 18 months there. He got a church started. And now he is hearing that there, are, there is trouble in paradise. There is trouble in the city of Corinth. So this is probably about A.D. 56, maybe 23 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul's writing them back. And next week, we're going to start getting into some of the meat and the potatoes of some of the things that he was talking to them about. But he starts it out very intelligently with some real positive words. But what was going on in Corinth? Well, it would be better to say what was not going on in Corinth uh, in this church. And this is going to be important tonight as we look at some of the positive things he addresses. You think that we have problems in our church They had a lot more problems than probably any church you and I have ever been a part of. Immorality of a a really bizarre kind. They had divisions, divisions, divisions uh, in the church body. They uh, They were having a lot of theological goofiness that was springing up and causing problems over spiritual gifts and other things. It was a troubled church. And it's in that context that we see that God through Paul begins to try to address them, to try to, uh, to, try to say some things that's going to help change them. But again, in, in verse 1 through 9 tonight, what we're going to see, and I think it's very interesting, is he starts off with the honey and the sugar before he gets to the switch. Switch will be next week. Please don't avoid it. You need to be here. And I don't believe God led me to preach this because I feel like our church is the next Corinth. But it, it's because these are timeless truths that we need to be aware of. Here's how he starts us off. He said this to them and he says it to us tonight. Is that you and I are a part of a special place. And we're special people. That's a good word, isn't it? Okay. You're horrible and we're a part of a horrible organization. You like that better? I feel a little bit iffy tonight. Now, don't make me mad. Don't make me mad. God said to them, he began the letter, and he said, now, he didn't tell them this, but he was, I'm fixing to knock your head off is what, what was going to happen. Okay? Spiritually, and I'm going to be absolutely right, the things he was going to say to them. Okay? But before he got started with the spanking, he said, you guys are a special place, and you're special people. Verses 1 through 3 Begin this, he says, Paul called to be apostle, an apostle by, uh, of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and our brother Suentheus, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from our Father and the Lord. Jesus Christ. Now, he begins when, and he talks to him about the church. Look in verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth. Remember the Old Testament was, or New Testament, originally written in Greek. And the word church was a Greek word, ekklesia. Now, ekklesia did not automatically mean church. In the, the Greek culture, the Greek word literally it meant a called out assembly. Uh, in a free society like ours, a herald, a speaker, 
a promoter could come forth and, and go, let's say go, go, Vance could go to downtown Ruston and he could make a plea to gather a bunch of people together and to discuss an issue. And that group meeting together would be called an ecclesia. And, and God jumped in here and he gave the word ecclesia a brand new special touch. He said there's not only secular or civil ecclesias, but the church is the ecclesia of God. It is the called out people of Jesus Christ. Pretty neat thing. And, and, and again, church in the New Testament certainly means all the saved of all time. But the predominant uh, use of the word church, I mean by far the most dominant use, is talking about the local church. And I love what he says here to these people. And, and again, if you've read Corinthians you studied it. You, you understand what I'm saying. This was a rough group of people. This was a church off base. But God was still convinced, God speaking through Paul, that there were people in that church that were saved. And even though it was a mixed up place, that it was a, still a church. And look how he describes him to the church of God in Corinth. Isn't that powerful? Folks, I want to tell you this evening, we are a special place. We are the called out of Jesus Christ. And yes, our title says First Baptist Ruston, but I want to tell you before we're that, we are the church of God in Ruston. We are not the only church of God in Ruston. I'm not identifying and separating. Their churches, we're just the one of God. You can get the arrogance and the wrongness of that statement. But listen, either we're the church of God or we're not a church. Correct? I mean, we can be a Bible study, we can be a religious organization, we can be First Baptist people who try to do good, or we can be what God has called us out to be. And God tells us, and I believe we are this, folks, we are First Baptist Ruston, but first and foremost, we are the church of God in Ruston. The people in Corinth needed to hear that. They were a mixed up, wacky group of people with all kinds of problems, but God in the midst of that told them, you are still my church in that vile and rough city. And God says to you and me tonight, we're a special place. We are the church of God in Ruston. You know, folks, that ought to not only encourage us, that ought to motivate us, that ought to have an effect on who we are and what we do. In the 60s, there was a, a strange but good movement. It was called the Jesus Movement. And, and some of you remember that. It was basically where hippies were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and uh, of course, anytime someone's coming to faith in Christ, it's a good thing. But one of their mantras or their chants was, Jesus Christ, yes, but the church, no. We don't want anything to do with the church, but we're for Jesus. You can't separate those two. The church is the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. Okay? I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be a part of a church that sounds like I want to play in the NFL. I just don't want to be on a team. By the way, to me, that's probably the truth, saying you couldn't make it on a team, or I couldn't either. But we're the church of God. And, and Jesus Christ is always about the church because the church is his. It's his ecclesia. It's his called out group of redeemed people. And that makes us special, folks. And it reminds me tonight that as your minister and our ministers, we're under shepherds of Jesus Christ. But you know what? It's not our church. It's his. And did you know as a church member tonight... I want you to feel like this is your church in a very real sense. But ultimately, you're just a steward. This is God's church. 
Correct? It's God's church. And if I die tomorrow, or, or God forbid you die tomorrow, you know what? They're going to still meet here next week. Because it's bigger than us. It's the church of God. And that's a significant and a wonderful thing. I, I remember back in 1988, I was in graduate school. And Ed Young Sr., who, is, who was and is still the pastor of Second Baptist Church in Houston, was doing a Q&A with students. And one of the students asked him, Dr. Young, what do we need to do to make our church grow? He said, one thing, be a church. If you're the church of God in your community, you can't help but grow. Now, he said, obviously, if you're in Houston or if you're in the middle of West Texas where there's 500 people in a 500-mile radius, you're not going to grow like they are in Houston. But what he was saying is the church will be the church of God. It cannot help, no matter what its problems, it cannot help but to be effective. That's a wonderful and powerful statement, isn't it? Folks, when we gather together, we are the church of God in Ruston. That ought to encourage us, motivate us, and it ought to keep us in line a little bit too, shouldn't it? But he doesn't end there. He says some other wonderful things about not only us being a special place, but about you as Christians being special people. Now, I want to remind you what I've said earlier. These people in Corinth were not doing real well in their Christian life. He is fixing to really address some hard things. Certainly some of them were in the church that were not Christians that needed to give their life to Christ. But many of them were. And he was reminding them in verse 2 that even though they may be struggling, if they belong to Christ, look what he says. He says, you're the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. That word sanctified means cleansed and pure. It's the idea of, of growing towards Christ's likeness. Now, folks, theologians talk about salvation in, in three terms. That you were saved when you gave your life to Christ. You were being saved, and you will be saved. You were saved the moment you bowed your heart to Jesus. That's called justification. That's called being made right with God. As you live your life, you are being saved from a wasted life in the power of sin. The Bible calls that sanctification. And the day that you go to the funeral home, not to visit someone else, but for your own personal visit. As a Christian, that is the day you begin the process in heaven of glorification. Okay? Everyone in here still has a pulse, I think. Some of you I'm worried about. You're a Christian, you are in the process of what? Not petrification, but sanctification. And God told these people, he said, look, man, some of you guys are really struggling. But I want you to know, if you belong to Christ, you're a special person. You're a sanctified person. That word holy can also be translated a saint. He said, listen, I have set you apart. I'm sanctifying you. I'm cleansing you. I am trying to make you more like Jesus Christ. Even though you're struggling and you're failing, I want you to know that you are a special person. You know, that's a good word, isn't it? In other words, God's not finished with you and me yet. And, uh, and in other words, you hadn't arrived yet. And you don't arrive again until the glorification process. But I, th I think it's neat how he starts this letter. 
Again, a letter where he is fixing to get out the paddle and spank hard. He starts it by saying, listen, your church is special. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And it's that city. And if you're a Christian, if you're not one, you can become one tonight. You're a special person. You're a person been justified, been made right with God, that God's doing everything on his end to sanctify you, to cleanse you, to pure you, uh, to set you apart, to make you usable. You are a special people. That's pretty neat, isn't it? And then after that, he tells them this. He says, not only are you a special people in place, but you're a fully equipped and secure people in place. You're fully equipped and secure. Church and Christians there, ton of problems. But he starts off talking about their blessings. In verse 4 through 7, he says, I always thank God for you because of the grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. That word gift there for spiritual gift translates to the word charisma. And we think of the word charismatic. You think of someone who exercises the gifts of tongues or healings. It may be a little, a little different from your typical Baptist church. But that word charisma literally means a, a gift that's given for the common good. And the people in Corinth were misusing their gifts. They didn't understand them properly. They were glorifying in their gifts, chapter 12 and 14. He's going to hit them hard on this. But I think it's interesting. He tells them, listen, because there's no doubt they understood they were struggling as a church and as a people. He tells them, listen, I want to tell you, you are a special and gifted group. In verse 5, he says, For in him you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking and all your knowledge. And this particular area of the world where Corinth was, uh, an, an elite city, elite people, they really, uh, rhetoric and philosophy, they really uh, reveled in those and they lifted those up high. And it's interesting, he tells them, You guys are blessed and the way you can speak, and you're blessed in the way you can use your mind. And in fact, he tells them in, in verse 5 that they are enriched in every way in, in their spiritual gifts. And that word enriched is where we get our English word plutocrat, which means to a, a very wealthy person. You know what God was telling those people in Corinth? Man, you got some problems. And you don't understand spiritual gifts near like that you need to. But let me major on your good things first. You're a blessed group of people. A talented and gifted group of people. Folks, if you're a Christian tonight, you have a spiritual gift. You may not be using it. You may not even know what it is. But every believer has at least one gift. You probably have more than one gift. Isn't that good news to know? 
And you've got the exact gift that God wants you to have. Most of us are jealous. We want somebody else's gifts. I've seen guys who were tremendous evangelists. And, and they, as far as preaching, they would come in and they could preach. And they just had the, the giftedness to draw the invitation in. And, and literally 50, 60 people come forward. And those same guys would tell me later, Boy, I, just, I could never pastor, but I wish I could. And I'm thinking, I wish I could give an invitation just like you. We have gift envy, don't we? But you don't have to envy somebody else's gifts. And folks, I want to tell you about our church tonight. We are an extremely gifted body. You, you know, I, I'm in both services in the morning like several of our ministers are. And just musically this morning, as well as tonight, at 8.30, if you were in the 8.30 service, our choir hit the ball Way out of the park. Gifted people. Rex sang. Great. Gifted people. Mary Stacy on the organ. Gifted people. 11 o'clock, our band hit a home run again. Gifted people. You heard it tonight. Gifted people. Folks, we're blessed as a church. Our problem here is not a lack of gifts. Whatever our problems are, they're not a lack of gifts, okay? And I think that's one thing God wants us to hear is that quit, if you are, and I don't know anybody that is, if you are whining, well, I wish my church had this, is we got just enough gifts. We can make it happen here if everybody will use their gifts. You don't have to envy somebody else's spiritual gifts. Find yours and use them. God has given you those, and and you've got all the gifts that he wants you to have. Your job is to find them and to use them. He told those people at Corinth that were so mixed up about gifts, you're such a gifted group of people, and I thank God for that. But he also told them this, too. He said, you know, as goofy as you are and, and as much headache as you're causing me, you're secure in Christ. I'm betting in the midst of some of their problems Many of them began to question even if God loved them anymore. But in verse 6 it says, Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. In verse 8, God will keep you strong to the end, so you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in verse 6, that word confirmed. That was a legal term that meant a legal transaction had taken place saying this is valid and and this is the way it is. Guys, I want to tell you tonight, if you're a Christian, a legal transaction has taken place that says you belong to Christ and that's never going to change. The question is not once saved, always saved. The question is, have you been saved? Did you get that? And if you have been saved, a legal transaction has taken place that makes you secure in Jesus Christ forever. Again, let's look at verse 8 one more time and what it says. He will keep you strong to the end, so you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about the second coming. Corinth had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of goods and bads, but he said, listen, if you're really saved, and many of you are, You don't worry, Jesus Christ is going to take care of you until the trumpet blows. Isn't that great? I want to tell you the same thing tonight. If you belong to Christ, it doesn't mean you're not going to have a lot of ups and downs, but he's going to hold your hand till the very end. 
I never saw any of the movie Toy Stories, but I'm sure some of you, especially with little kids, have. That is Woody the Cowboy. How many of you are familiar with Woody the Cowboy? A lot more than made New Year's resolutions, so that's great. <laughs> Unless we have our priorities in order. In the third movie, Andy is giving away his toys. He's giving away his toys to a little girl, and he's giving these toys, and he's explaining all the toys, pluses. But about Woody, he says, Woody is a friend who will always be there for you. Woody is one that you can count on to the very end. How many of you want a friend like that? See, that's what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, is that he's going to always be there for you to the very end. He's going to hold your hand. He's going to walk that route with you until he takes you on to heaven. You see, guys, tonight, not only in Corinth, but here, we are a gifted group of people in Jesus Christ, and we're a secure group of people. We belong to him, and the devil himself can't rip us out of God's hands. And he gives them one last thought, and he gives us one last thought this evening, and he tells us this, never forget your main calling. Don't forget your main calling. This is not... Uh, this is not um, the only calling. But, but it's the first thing. In fact, after this, immediately two or three other things evolve. But they had forgotten this in Corinth. In verse 9, it says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Two little words in this verse are very, very um, significant. And the first is that little preposition, into. It, it, it literally means a motion towards something. And then the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And, and it means intimacy or participation with. And what it's saying here is that God has called you, he's called our church, to move to to make emotion towards intimacy and participation in the life and in the purposes of Jesus Christ. You get that? You know what Jesus wants from you and I first and foremost is for us to love him with all our heart. Doesn't end there. He immediately said, then you love people. They had forgotten this in Corinth, and this is what's fixing to get the paddle brought out to them. That the main thing, the first thing God calls us to continually is to intimacy and fellowship with Him and participation with Him. Folks, what do people who love you want from you more than anything else? They want intimacy. They want fellowship. They want to spend time with you. They want to know you deeper and better. And what an unbelievable thing that that's what the God of the universe wants. Intimacy and fellowship with us. They had forgotten this in Corinth, and that's what had gotten them in trouble. Let me tell you, you know why a lot of churches today are in trouble? They've forgotten that the main reason we get together is to fellowship with Jesus Christ. I want to read to you some really bad stuff, statistics that I, I saw this week about churches. And these, these are probably taken over the last five or six years. In America, these are all in America. In America, church attendance is declining 
at the rate of 13% a year. 13% a year. In 2005, the number of Americans who identified themselves as Protestants dropped below 50% for the first time. At the current rate, a majority of Americans will identify themselves as non-Christians by 2035. By 2050, Islam will overtake Christianity as the world's largest religion. The fastest-growing church in America is Wicca, a form of witchcraft. Although small, their numbers are doubling every 30 months. Nearly four out of ten non-going church people, people who don't go to church in America, avoid church because of the negative experiences with church people. Average church giving by church members to their church is about 4% of their income. Probably that's high. 95% of Christians have never led anyone to Christ. 63% of pastors have not led people to Christ, anyone to Christ in the past two years. You know what the problem is there? Is churches have forgotten that our main thing is intimacy with Jesus Christ. They've forgotten that in cart. We've forgotten it too. Thank God most of those statistics don't apply to us. But let's don't let them apply to us. And what about you as an individual? Do you know the main calling is God wants you to love him and love people, but it begins with you loving him. And you moving into intimacy and participation with him. And and I want to tell you tonight, it's not going to solve all your problems, but you will be amazed how much better your life will go over a period of time if you fall back in love with Jesus Christ. I I mean, things are going to still be tough at work. You're going to get on the scales and not be happy all the time. Your bills aren't going to just miraculously disappear. You'll be amazed when you really fall in love with Jesus Christ. Again, Christian, how things begin to work out so much better in your life. You know, here's one little last interesting tidbit. In these first nine verses, the word Lord is used six times. That's a lot. You don't have to count. I already have. Lord means master. The problem in Corinth was not that they weren't gifted or secured or special people. They had forgotten that Jesus Christ was still supposed to be their Lord. This evening, I want to call us back to the Lordship of Christ. First, if you're not a Christian, in a moment when we give the invitation, come and give your life to Christ. Nothing starts until that's settled. Maybe you want to join the church tonight. Come and do that. Come and make us, help us be a gifted and better place. Christian, tonight, find the encouragement in the fact that you're a gifted and secured person. Find encouragement in that you're special in Jesus Christ. But also make sure that he's your Lord. And that he stays your Lord tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I'm not saying you lose Jesus as Lord, but you, you can easily push him aside from being your master. Maybe tonight as a Christian, where you're standing or at the altar, you want to say about our church, you're going to do everything you can to help us keep Jesus as the Lord of this place where we can really say that this is the church of God in Ruston. Let's stand.
As God leads you tonight, respond to him.